We have a work day scheduled to uh, improve the facilities. Uh, that is scheduled for October 28th. We will start working at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And we will go until we're either being wheeled into the hospital or we're done. Amen? Whichever comes first, uh, we've got a lot to do. Uh, we're compiling a long list of things. And both men and women, children can help. There's some deep cleaning that can be done. Uh, there's some heavier muscle work to be done both inside and outside of the building. There are two trees uh, on our property that are dead and that we would like to take down. Some of you need firewood for the upcoming uh, winter season. You're always looking to compile uh, firewood. So if you have a chainsaw and you want to bring those and help take those trees down, uh, that way we can uh, get them off our property, that would be a tremendous help. And so uh, keep that in mind for that work day. You can show up with that and uh, help us uh, with that. And so uh, just plan on being a part of that. That's October the 28th. That's that Saturday. Uh, the other thing I want to just uh, emphasize behind Pastor Mike there is get your teenagers involved in our youth activities. Before I got here, I think the complaint was there's not enough for the teenagers to do. Well, you can't say that anymore. We have, um, uh, we have a Sunday evening after church activity every month, and we have a, um, a teen activity we take the kids out uh, for every month as well. And so get your teenagers involved. I know uh, one church I was asked to be the young married couple Sunday school teacher, and uh, before I got uh, into that role, the complaint in the church was there's not enough for young married couples, not enough activities for young married couples. And so I got there, and I started the activities, and I had very few people coming. And so is it that we didn't have activities or is it that people just looking for a reason to complain? And so if you have teenagers, avail yourself to them. Listen, this youth fest that the teenagers are going to tomorrow up in Southington, that is a wonderful time. The Bible is preached loud and clear and enjoyable for a teenager to listen to. There are uh, carnival-type games that are free for the kids to do. Uh, uh, obviously, the $25 helps cover that. They're fed lunch. And then um, they even have stuff like fried Oreos for them. So plenty, plenty to do up there for them. And uh, if you have a teenager, uh, do your very best with them being off school tomorrow to get them here to the church by 7.30 so that they can be a part of that. Uh, we're going to continue our series, Engage, this morning, uh, which is a sub-series to lift him up. Let's stand this morning for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 6. And we'll be looking at verse 25 down through verse number 30, we'll read them responsively. I'll read the even verses, or rather the odd verses alone, we'll read the even verses out loud together. The Bible says, beginning in verse 25, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Together, verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest Thou work, what doest thou work? And so the title of the message today is this Engaging the Skeptic. The Skeptic. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today you'd help us that we would be emboldened and, uh, Lord, uh, injected with courage from the message today. And God, the world is filled with people who are skeptical toward our faith. There's those out there that are skeptical about faith in general, and then there are those who have faith but are very skeptical toward our version of it. And Lord, I, I believe with all my heart, I believe as much as I'm standing here, that the Bible teaches salvation by grace through faith. That's the gospel that we believe. That's the gospel that you have given us. And Lord, we live in a world of people that don't see it that way. We live in a people that want to label us as narrow-minded. And Lord, um, I pray God you'd help us when we approach and deal with people like that in our lives, whether it be at work, whether it be our neighbors, whether it be those we run into out and about uh, at various uh, places uh, uh, that we uh, that, that our lives take us to, help us, Lord, to help us, Lord, to be quick to understand. It is our duty to engage them with the truth, Lord, to leave the results up to you. I pray the sermon this morning would be an encouragement. And I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here 
that has not accepted Christ as their Savior, would you help today to be the day that they do that? May nobody leave here depending on their own works, but Lord, rather trusting in you. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Everybody out loud together, I want you to say our theme for 2017. It is what? Lift Him up. Lift Him up. Some environments are easier to lift up Christ than others, aren't they? Um, It's not too hard to sing a hymn at church. But how about when you're standing at the gas pump? you got that other person standing on the other side of the pump and you start singing, Amazing Grace. And they poke their head around, look at you like you have lost your mind. Right? Um, It's not too hard to bow your head and pray at church, is it? How about in the break room before you eat your meal with all the godless people? Now, if you've matured in Christ, it's not difficult. But for some people, you're afraid of being labeled labeled as a religious fanatic for praying in the break room at work. It's not too hard to read your Bible in the privacy of your own home. But what about in the, the lobby of the hotel that you're staying in or some other public place? You, you, um, you're getting your oil changed or you're getting your uh, car repaired and you're sitting at the mechanic. You pull out your Bible and start reading it. It's a little bit more difficult to do it there, isn't it, than in, in the privacy of your home? You say, well, Pastor, why is it easier in some environments than others to lift up Christ? The reason why many struggle at lifting up Christ out in the wild is because of our inerrant desire to fit in with the crowd around us. It is just natural. If you are built like most people, to want to fit in with the world around you. Um, if you are amongst a group of people who are non-believers, um, it, is, it, is, uh, it is awkward and hard at times to talk about the Bible. It just is. Whether you're at your hunting club, or you're at your, your bowling club, or you are uh, hanging out at the VA, uh, or you are at work, or you are maybe at a community meeting with your neighbors, uh, homeowner association meeting, wherever it would be that you have gathered, if you are the lone Christian there, it can be difficult to take a stand for what's right at times. Why? Because all of us are built with a desire to want to fit in with the crowd. And I can prove that to you. You end up spending time with people that you are like. Why are you here this morning? Because you believe the Bible is God's Word, or you're curious about what we believe here. You, you have showed up because you are like us. You find and adapt and uh, 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 put yourself around a crowd that you're like, and when you're put around people by force that you're not like, then you're put in that situation. Am I going to stand where I believe, or am I going to try to find a middle ground where I can be like them? It is very common for a Christian who gets around non-Christians to curse here and there, whereas to be accepted by the other crowd. It is normal uh, for a Christian who would stay away from a carnal action when at home or at church to find himself committing that carnal action when he's around other people who are carnal so that he can be accepted by them. You say, not me. I'd say, listen, if it can get the Apostle Peter, it can get you. You're no greater than Peter. Peter's warming his hands by the fire. Jesus is inside being tried. That little girl says, you are like him. Your speech bereath thee. Your speech gives you away. What did Peter do? He denied Christ. He began to curse. Now, Peter didn't curse normally, but... He pulled out his fisherman's language in front of the crowd because he wanted to be accepted by the crowd. Now, I know that wasn't the only reason, but that was one of the reasons. It is natural for us to want to fit in wherever we are, whether that's at work, whether that's with our neighbors, uh, whether that's just in a conversation with a complete stranger. Let's be honest. The average Joe on the street thinks that your Bible is not for him. If he thought it was for him, then he'd be reading it. He'd be living it. The average Joe thinks your Bible is not for him. To talk about it makes everybody uncomfortable, doesn't it? Makes you uncomfortable. 
Makes him uncomfortable. Makes those around uncomfortable. Joe and most everyone else is skeptical. They're skeptical. Now, you say, Pastor, is everybody skeptical about the Bible? Not everybody. But the Bible tells us that broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction. Many there be that go in thereat. You know, most of the people that are walking down the path that leads to destruction, most of them are skeptical. They're skeptical. They're overly skeptical of truth. The Bible also tells us that uh, narrow is the gate that leadeth the way uh, of life eternal, and few there be that go in thereat. Few there be. There are a few people that are able to accept Christ by faith and go in thereat. Most people are too skeptical for their own good. Now, um, there are a lot of skeptical people uh, uh, in the world, and in fact, I would say that to be an adult is to be a skeptic. Right? To be an adult is to be a skeptic. In fact, uh, if you're not a skeptic, then you're gullible. Put that next slide up there for me, uh, Brother Matt. Um, Look at this. Don't believe everything you read on the internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. Abraham Lincoln. Anybody here skeptical right now? (laughs) He thinks. Um, Life teaches you to be skeptical. I got a call last week from a Washington, D.C. area code. I used to live down that way. I've got friends that have Washington, D.C. area codes. And so I picked up the phone, not knowing who it was. The number wasn't saved, but, you know, sometimes someone might be calling you from a home phone or whatever. So I pick up the, the phone, and the uh, person on the other end, uh, obviously English was their second language. Now, I'm going to imitate this person, but please understand something. Um... I am married to a Hispanic sitting right back there. I speak Spanish, mostly fluent. Okay, So I'm not belittling someone from another country. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to help relive the conversation as it happened. Okay, I picked up the phone. It was someone from, um, uh, obviously English was their second language. And here's what they said. They said, hello, I am from the U.S. Grants Department. And I am calling to tell you that you have been specially chosen to receive a $9,000 grant, which you do not need to pay back. And... I got a big old smile on my face, not because I was excited. (laughs) Uh, I thought, I'm going to mess with this guy. I said, are you sure you work for the U.S. government? Oh, yes, sir, I work for the U.S. government. He went on and on, and um, and he gave me a spiel. And when he got done, there was a pause, and he he had asked me a question. I said to him, I said, sir, let me explain something to you. I live my life by this principle. If it's too good to be true, it's click. He hung up on me. <laughs> I guess I wasn't the first person to tell him that. Um, you got to be skeptical to get through life on some level, or you are just flat out gullible. But can you be too skeptical? Now, as I perused around the internet this week preparing for this message, I read quite a few quotes about skepticism. What I found was that the large majority of them, 60 to 70 percent of them, were making fun of Christians because they lacked skepticism. I just put in Google skepticism quotes. I looked at a few websites. The large majority of these quotes were belittling and making fun of Christians for not being skeptical enough. I would ask this question. Is it that Christians are gullible or that atheist agnostics are hyper-skeptical? Is it that the Christian is gullible? Are you gullible? Or is it that, uh, that atheists... Uh, God-hating, God-denying people are hyper-skeptical. How many of you in here have heard of the name Carl Sagan? Carl Sagan, evolutionist, atheist, scientist, a lot of cos, cosmeto- cosmology, not cosmetology, that's fake stuff, right? Cosmology-type stuff. Um, here was a quote he gave, and a lot of the quotes that were on there, or at least several, uh, there were several by him on there that were attacking Christianity. Here was one of his quotes. He said, Extraordinary claims require... Extraordinary evidence. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And I've got to say, I agree with that quote. The problem with his opinion about God and the Bible is that there is a whole lot of evidence supporting God and the Bible in our Christian faith. 
a mountain of evidence that you have to bury in some sea somewhere and pretend it doesn't exist. This very book right here was authored by 29 different people over the period, 230 people over the period of about 2,500 years from different cultures and different backgrounds and different wealth classes. Most of them didn't know each other. And you take their writings and you compile it into a book and there isn't a single contradiction. Not one. How can that be? How can that be? I can tell you how that can be. There's a God. There's a God. Also, there is historical evidence that people were called out by name hundreds of years before they were even born and told what they were going to do, and that came to pass. The mountain of evidence is extraordinary, and so uh, my extraordinary claim that Jesus Christ can save me from my sins is backed up by a mountain of evidence. I do believe that there is faith required in salvation. The Bible teaches that. But i got to say this, is that if once you understand how powerful the Bible is, and how uh, how systematic it is, and how well written it is, and how that God authored it and gave it to us, it really does take a lot of the faith work out of it to believe in Christ for salvation. Now, skeptics of the Gospel can be placed into two categories. And if you're taking notes, these won't be on the screen, but you can jot these down. The first category are the religious but misled about God. Those that are religious but misled about God. You get a whole bunch of people out there, they're skeptical of our Baptist faith. And when I say Baptist, let me be clear on this, there are many denominations out there uh, that have the gospel right. The Baptists are not the only one, okay? Uh, but there, the, when I say the Baptist faith, what I mean is that uh, there are those that look at our salvation by grace through faith, and they look at that and they're skeptical of it. They don't agree with it. They don't believe it. In fact, we're going to look at a group here in a minute out of John 6 that gave Jesus a hard time for that very reason. They were religious but they were misled about God. Uh, the second category of skeptics are those that are non-religious and God-denying. Those that are non-religious and God-denying. You have a whole other group of people out there, they don't even want to admit God exists, and they claim that they don't need faith. The problem is that you've you got to have faith in something. The old, the old question is, how did we get here and what's the purpose? Well, none of us were here to see how it happened. And so, if you have a theory of how we got here, it's faith. It takes faith. And I've got to say, it requires less faith to believe in God than it does to believe in evolution. But there are those that are non-religious and God-denying. And, and I, I say that. Uh, someone could argue semantics with me, and, and they would have a point that everybody is religious on some level. And I would agree with that. Uh, I, we, if you feel that way, we can talk about that later. Christ did not allow religious, skeptical people to prevent Him from sharing with them the same truth that He shared with the seeking scholar in Nicodemus and uh, the Samaritan sinner. He knew they would reject His message. He knew the people in John 6 would listen to Him and reject it. But what did He do? He gave it to Him anyway. He gave it to Him anyway. Sitting right out here is Miss Joanne Wilson. A little over a year ago, Joanne came walking to my office. Joanne, you were a mess, weren't you? You came walking to my office and you sat down and I had the chance. You were seeking. You were seeking. I had the chance to share the gospel with you. Can I tell you as a pastor, it is easier to witness to someone that comes walking in your office looking for the gospel than it is to find some God-hating skeptic and try to get them to listen to the gospel. But do you know they both need it the same? They both needed the same. Now, um, Nicodemus got saved. We know that because he helped uh, Joseph of Arimathea with the body of Christ after Jesus died. Um, the woman at the well got saved. Right? The man by the pool of Bethesda got saved. Those were easy for Jesus. But this crowd wasn't so easy. This crowd would, in the end, turn their backs and reject God. But you know what the truth is? That didn't matter. Jesus had a responsibility to give him the gospel all the same. Christ was not concerned with his own popularity. He was concerned with an infectious gospel. I propose that although we live in a skeptical world, that we can reach anybody and everybody. How do we convince the skeptics? Again, not on the screens, but write this down if you're taking notes. We convince the skeptics by, first, our cleaned up lifestyle. Our cleaned up lifestyle. You leave, you live your life in a way that is above board and above the rest. Look, uh, going to work 
and mimicking and matching the conversation of those co-employees who are secular and godless, that is hurting your cause, not helping your cause. Sitting around and belittling your wife because your co-workers belittles their wives, or belittling your husband because your co-workers belittle their husbands, that is not helping your cause, that's hurting your cause. You need to live a cleaned up lifestyle. Listen, the guys come in from work on Monday and they're talking about how much fun they had at the bar watching the football game on Sunday. You need to come into work on Monday talking about how much fun you had at church and how that the Word of God challenged your heart. You live a cleaned up lifestyle. The second way we convince the skeptics is our carefully chosen language. Our carefully chosen language. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Because this is so important here. You have two ends of the spectrum with the language thing. You have what I call the secret service Christian. They're in the secret service. They're a Christian. They're saved. But they're not going to tell anybody. That work, they keep to themselves. They do their thing. And they're quiet. At home, they get up on Sunday. They put on their dress clothes. They go to church. They, they enjoy the preaching, the, the Word of God. They go home. They're like that video we watched where the guy couldn't invite his friend to church and ended up talking about goulash. You guys remember that video? That's a secret service Christian. There's that end of the spectrum. But then there's this end. I'm going to use my Bible as a battering ram and I'm going to beat you senseless until you get saved. Now, that's not appropriate either. You know what you end up doing when you're Bible, 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 Bible. Every time, every word, every conversation with every person you have, you shove people away. You shove people away. Now look, I would rather you, pay attention, I would rather you be on this end of the spectrum than that end. Because you'll see more people saved accidentally on this end. You'll never see anybody saved on that end. But neither one are healthy. What is appropriate? You sit right here in the middle. Now, I have worked a lot of secular jobs in my adult life. Non-church jobs, okay? And I have led most of the people to the Lord that I have worked with. Let me tell you what I didn't do. I didn't ignore my Christianity at work, and I didn't talk about the Bible at every turn. What did I do is where I could relate with the folks without compromising who I was, I related with them. I showed them that I cared about them, and then when the opportunity arose, I gave them the gospel. I gave them the gospel. Some of them were skeptics. I've told the story before. I'll share it again really quickly here. Uh, Up in uh, South Windsor, Connecticut, for a short time, I worked at uh, Max Finkelstein Tires. There in the building, there was a man named Antoine. He's a supervisor there now, Antoine Barnes. Antoine's a good friend of mine now, and um, Antoine's still a babe in Christ and, and, uh, and, and seeking to grow. But when I met Antoine, he was skeptical of who I was. In fact, word had gotten out that I was a ordained minister, so people at the plant started calling me Pastor Richard. Pastor Richard, or just Pastor. That was my name around there, and Antoine did not want to talk about the Gospel. At times, I had found a way to witness to some of my other co workers with the opportunity to risen and I could do it appropriately. But Antoine, when the conversation would come up, he would leave. He didn't want to hear it. Uh, one day with Antoine, uh, I told him about a movie on Netflix that gave the gospel really clear. I, he was talking about Netflix and some of the movies he'd watched, and I was quiet as he was talking to others. And I said, hey, uh, i got a movie for you, and I gave him the name of the movie. And he said, what's it about? I said, I'm not going to tell you. you just got to go home and watch. And uh, part of his complaint was that he had watched all the good stuff on Netflix and he had wore it out and there wasn't much left. I said, go home and watch that one. I bet you hadn't seen it before. And so um, he came in the next day and it had snowed really hard that day. And we were stuck in the building. There was no tire delivery. So it was like a clean-up day uh, uh, type deal and uh, service the vehicles type day. And so uh, I got talking with Antoine. We had a little bit of downtime. I got talking with Antoine and he said, that movie really rattled my cage. He said, um, uh, it really got me thinking about my, where I'm at spiritually. I had brought with me to work that day a, a chick track uh, that said, this is your life. How many of you know that this is your life chick track? Powerful chick track. I gave that to him and I, I came in a little bit later in the break room and he said, I prayed that prayer at the end. I have believed in Jesus. Now, if I had gone to Antoine with my Bible and just whack, 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 no, you're going to listen. He would have never gotten saved. And so how do we reach the skeptics? Antoine was a skeptic who ended up getting saved. How do we reach him? We reach him with a cleaned up lifestyle 
and with carefully chosen language. This morning, I want to give you two main points and four sub-points under each point. Let's jump right in as we talk about engaging the skeptics. Uh, point number one of the message this morning, first, notice the skeptics, the skeptics. And then point number two of the message is uh, the Savior, the Savior. And so we're going to look at those two. The A under number one will correlate with the A under point number two, and then so on and so forth. First, notice letter A, speaking of the skeptics, their religious tendencies. Their religious tendencies. Look down with me at John chapter 6 and verse number 2. The Bible says, And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Now, uh, there are two ways of looking at verse 2. There's the crowd that looks at them and says, Well, praise the Lord, they're following Jesus. And to that I say, Amen. At least they were following the right person. But then there's the other crowd that looks at this verse and says, But wait, they were following him for the wrong reasons. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. They were following Him for the wrong reasons. I do believe that day where Jesus fed the 5,000, which is where the story is going, fed them with five loaves and two fishes, fed the 5,000 plus people. I do believe that day that there were people who came because they had diseased family members who they wanted to see healed. They were there for the right reason. But can I tell you, there was another crowd of people there that day as well. They did not care about the diseased people. They cared about the magic show that would ensue. They showed up to watch Jesus do the spectacular. And boy, they got it. You know, um, um, they were there uh, to see Jesus do amazing things. And I would say first, notice that even though their motives were wrong, at least they were following Jesus. At least they were following Jesus. The second thing I'd say is that they could have pursued a magic act elsewhere. They could have pursued a magic act elsewhere. Now, you can turn on the TV today and you can find magicians. You can go on YouTube and you can find magicians. And you say, well, they didn't have TV and YouTube. And I understand that. But trust me, there were people doing illusions elsewhere that they could have gone and followed. But they weren't following them. They were following Jesus. And to that I say, praise the Lord. Every now and then we have people show up to our church and they come in and their motives aren't right. Maybe we give out pizza on the bus and they didn't come because they love Jesus. They came because they wanted some pizza. We might uh, give out pumpkins at church and someone might show up to get a pumpkin or a mum and they're not here for the right reason. But nonetheless, they're here. And i got to say, if you're following Jesus, regardless of the motive, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, uh, they could have pursued a magic act elsewhere. The other thing I noted here about their religious tendencies is they could have turned to the powers of darkness. You know, Satan is just as capable of doing things to a certain point as far as miracles and wowing folks as Jesus is. You remember uh, Moses and Aaron walked into Pharaoh's court and the, and the, the rod got thrown down on the ground? What happened? Turned into a snake, right? But what did Pharaoh's servants do? Magicians do. Through the powers of evil... They did the same thing. Uh, uh, Moses had the rod stuck down in the water and turned it into blood. What did the magicians do? They stuck the rod down in the water and they turned it into blood. Now, they did it through the powers of Satan. And I would say about these people's, these skeptics' religious tendencies, at least they were going to the right source. Letter A under number 2, notice His compassion. Speaking of the Savior, notice the Savior's compassion. Look at me, verse number 8 of John chapter 6. It says there, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And now, there was much grass in the place, so that uh, so the, the men sat down in multitude, uh, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples of them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. Uh, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing is lost. Jesus looked at this crowd, and he saw that in the front were the deceased that needed him, but he saw behind them were the skeptics, were the people who were there for the wrong reasons. And you know that Jesus took the five loaves and the two fishes, and he fed them all the same. He fed them all the same. He was compassionate on all of them. You know, if I had been there, and I had Jesus' ability to see and know, I would have said, okay, you and back, go home. Go feed yourself. Those of you that are here for the right reasons, you sit in the grass, I'm going to feed you. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus knew their motives was wrong, but Jesus knew their motives were wrong, but Jesus fed them anyway. 
Jesus loved on them anyway. He showed compassion to them anyway. Can I tell you that if you have a skeptic at work, a skeptic in your neighborhood, a skeptic that's related to you, a skeptic uh, toward your faith in your life, whether they are a religious skeptic or a non-religious skeptic, what they need from you is to be compassionate. They need you to be compassionate. You say, but pastor, they make fun of my faith. They put me down. Uh, uh, they, they, they harass me. Uh, they even on some level persecute me. Uh, the Bible says that we are to love our enemies. We're to show compassion. We're to show compassion. Letter B under number one. Notice the skeptics' reliance. Their reliance. Look at verse 28 of John chapter 6. So, before we read the verse, the backstory here, Jesus feeds them, then He sends the multitudes away, and He puts His disciples in a boat, sends them across the Sea of Galilee, He goes up in a mount to pray, and then in the middle of the night, there's a nasty storm that is uh, uh, just terrifying His disciples and about to capsize the boat. So, Jesus leaves the mountain of prayer, He walks on the water out to the disciples, and there uh, He goes in the boat and He calms the storm, and the boat is at the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The next morning, all of those people that he had fed and sent away, they come out and they're looking for Jesus. All this is in John 6, you can read it. Uh, And they can't find him. They're expecting him to come down out of the mount. They're waiting for them because their bellies are hungry. And so, uh, they they form a search party. They look all over the mountain, they can't find him. And they look and say, it doesn't make any sense. There have been no boats that have left. How could have he left? And so, they, uh, they gather together and they get in the boat and they go across the sea, and they find Jesus on the other side, and they're shocked. And uh, they ask Jesus, in verse 25, they say, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? He answers their, uh, well, rather, he ignores their questions, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, their rebuttal to his comment to them is found in verse 28. And in that rebuttal, we find uh, what they were relying on for salvation. Look at verse 28. It says there, Then said they unto him, What shall we do? Notice that. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, what a fascinating question. What a fascinating question. Um, Let me pause here and say, I know I preached out of this chapter already. I'm trying to preach a different outline and maybe make some different points. So, uh, stay with me here, okay? I meant to say that in the introduction. Um, What were they trying to say by that question? What was the point they were trying to make? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Well, there are multiple layers to their question. But I think, I think that this is at least a question of duplicity. Let me give you two questions that they were really asking Jesus with this. First, I think they were probably asking Him, How can we do what you did? How can we do what you did? Hey, you fed all those people with those loaves and fishes. Can you teach me how to do that? Can you imagine how famous you'd be if you could take five loaves of bread and two fishes and you could break them up and feed thousands and thousands of people? You're talking about not having any overhead when starting a business. <laughs> all you need is your hands, right? And a good night's sleep. Um, can you show us how you do that? We want to work the works of God like you do. Like you do. But I think beyond that, they were asking this question, how can we please God? How can we make peace with God? Their reliance. Their reliance. There are um, basically two religions in the world. Hear me out on this, okay? Um, We are a done church. What do I mean by that? Okay, Done means it was done on the cross. You don't do anything to get to heaven. It's done on the cross. You look back and you believe. And by believing, uh, you receive the gift of salvation. That's the beginning and the end of it. You get into heaven uh, by what has been done for you, not by what you can do to get in. There are all the other religions of the world, whether it's Islam, uh, whatever religion you want to pick that isn't a done religion or done denomination, done faith, all of the non-done faiths are doing faiths. And by the way, they all have the same author. His name is Satan. And let me tell you, they have a lot of similarities. Uh, What if I were to say to you that there is a religion out there? Listen closely, okay? See if you can figure this out. There is a religion out there. Uh, where their book was given to them by uh, an angel that appeared to their prophet and wrote it. Okay? You follow me? Um, this religion allows duplicity in marriage or multiple wives. 
This religion uh, worships the person who wrote the gospel. What religion am I talking about? I'm also talking about Islam. Isn't it funny how they're almost the same thing, wrapped around a different culture? You know why? Because they're both authored by the same person. Satan. Satan. But they're not the only ones. Any religion that teaches that you've got to work to get to heaven. How many of you have ever had a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door? You raise your hand. You ever had a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door? All right, I, I, poll here, okay? This is a poll. Please participate. Uh, a non-participation is not allowed, okay? How many of you have a hard time raising your hand? I didn't expect you to actually raise your hand. Okay. Um, some of you are like, mm, trying to get it up there. Um, how many of you here, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, you shoo them away quickly? Okay. How many of you here like to try to back them into a theological corner? Anybody here like that? Okay. I'm in the latter camp because I'm a pastor, and some of you love the Bible, and you've learned it really well. Look, it, 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 whatever, fine. If, if you rush them away, I'm good with that. If you don't know your Bible real well, you need to shoo them away. And if, you, and if you have been confused by them, come talk to me or one of the pastors or one of the deacons or seasoned men in the church, and we can help you get past their goofy talking points. But um, the Jehovah's Witness, do you know why they are so... So, um, uh, up to knocking on doors and getting out because they're taught that if they don't work really hard, they've got to be one of the top 144,000 of Jehovah's Witnesses to be able to get into heaven. Because that's it. That's the cutoff. You know what they're being taught? Works. Works. Work real hard. And these people here were saying, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Jesus' answer was, you don't. You don't do. Look at letter B, the Savior's condemnation. Condemnation. Look at me at John chapter 6 and verse 26. The Bible says there, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. So they come to and say, Master, How'd you get over here? Whence comest thou thither? Jesus ignores their question. He says, look, you're not looking for me because you want me. You're looking for me because you got a stomach you got your stomach full on the other side. You're looking for the same thing. Verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Look at his answer to their question. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe. Believe on Him whom He had sent. You want to know the work that you do? You believe. That's it. That's the beginning and the end of it. You believe. The work's been done. It was done. It will be done on the cross uh, for, for their sakes. It has been done for us. You believe. Here's what Jesus was saying as He was condemning them. Christ was literally saying, I see right through your question. You want to know how I got over here? You, you don't really care about how I got over here. You want to know how I can break more bread and feed your stomachs? He said, I see your heart. I see your heart. Your heart's deceitful. It's desperately wicked above all things. He said, I see your sin. I see your sin. He said, I see your motives are impure. You know what he's saying is that works won't get you to heaven. His condemnation. You know that we're all born condemned. You say, oh, but I'm a good person. No, no, no. You're born condemned. Condemned. Flip back over to John chapter 3 real quick. Wait, just a couple pages to the left there. John chapter 3. Look at verse number 17 there. Verse 16 we looked at uh, several weeks ago talking about uh, uh, the greatest verse in the Bible, in my opinion, the, the theme verse of the Bible. Verse 17 Look at follows that. It says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, so, speaking about condemnation, but that the world through Him might be saved. Verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so here we see that if you have not believed, you are condemned. By the way, we're all born non-believing. We must make a conscious choice 
to believe at some point in our life. How do you remember the day you made that choice to believe on the only begotten Son of God? I'm glad for that day of my life. Uh, do you know that if you're here today that you're born in sin? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, There is none righteous. None righteous. No, not one. Uh, speaking of uh, their uh, reliance, they were being relying on how good they were. There is none righteous. Uh, the Bible tells us in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Why? For all have sinned. If you're here today, and you're breathing air and out of your lungs, not only are you skeptical or gullible, uh, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. And i got to say today that that sin is a problem. It separates you from God. It condemns you to a place called hell. You say, Pastor, I don't want to go to hell. How do I get that right? Well, we're going to look at that here in a minute. Let's go back to the skeptics and look at letter C. Their righteousness explained. Their righteousness explained. Now, this is so important. Look down with me at John chapter 6, verse 29. And they're going to give themselves away here. Jesus says to them in verse 29, look there at, at, at verse 20. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom he, he, uh, whom he hath sent. So you want to know what work to do. The work is believe. That's it. Verse 30. They said therefore unto Him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? Uh, what doest thou work? Or what dost thou work? Verse 31, Our fathers did eat man in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Look back at verse 30 there. Notice where it says there, We may see and believe. We may see and believe. Now, hear me out on this. Many, many, many people that go to a Catholic church. I'm not trying to be mean to Catholics, okay? My mom-in-law is a Catholic. I believe she is a saved Catholic. I do believe there are some saved people that attend Catholic church. But the main problem that people who go to a Catholic church have, you listening, is that they cannot separate seeing from believing. Seeing from believing. They're tied together at the hip. They're tied together at the hip. These people were saying, we've got to see to believe. Do you know why works religion, works-based faith is so attractive? Because I can see myself accomplish something good, and then I can believe in what I've just seen. That's why it's so attractive. Look, I spent four hours knocking on doors today as a Jehovah's Witness. And by the way, we go door knocking here, and I'd encourage you to get involved in that. But you're not going to go to heaven or hell based on whether or not you do it. Okay? I, I, I went out door knocking for four hours today. I can believe in my own works. Really, it's self-worship. It is seeing to believe. These skeptics that Jesus were talking to was talking to, they were from the state must have been from the state of Missouri, the show me state. The show me state. Yeah, I gotta see it to believe it. I gotta see it to believe it. And I gotta say that uh, they saw Jesus take five loaves and two fishes and divide that out in a miracle, and that was not enough for them. They watched Jesus heal the disease, and it was not enough for them. Here's the point I'm going to make, is that people who say you need an extraordinary amount of evidence to believe an extraordinary claim. Look, if you had lived during Jesus' time, if you're a skeptic today, there's a good chance you wouldn't have believed then. You say, Pastor, where do you get the proof of that? These people were skeptical, and they were watching Jesus heal people. And they remained skeptical. You, you have Thomas, right? And I, I believe Thomas got saved after the Lord uh, was raised from dead. That's just my own opinion. If you disagree with me on that, that's okay. But Thomas was in denial that Jesus had even been raised from the dead. How can you be saved if you don't believe that He was capable of raising from the dead? And uh, uh, Thomas was told, hey, He's risen. He said, I, until I put my fingers in His side, and uh, my hand in His side, and my fingers in His hands, I will not believe. Jesus shows up and says, okay, there's my side. Hear my, hear my, hear my prince. Go ahead. Do what you need to do, but you need to believe. And Thomas dropped to his knees and he said, My Lord and my God, you're risen today from the tomb. What did Jesus tell, say to him? And I'm paraphrasing here. But along these lines, he said, You see and believe. Blessed are they that see not. Don't see and believe. Now, Jesus lived some 2,000 years ago, right? None of us have seen Him with our eyes. If you've seen Jesus with your eyes, you need to get yourself checked out, okay? Uh, we've not seen Jesus with our eyes, right? But we believe. We believe. To that person that believes in works plus faith. Works plus faith. Let me say this. You have a seeing to believe problem. You need to set down the seeing and you need to just believe. 
their righteousness explained. Let her see, we see his clarification. His clarification. Look at me at John chapter 6 verse 32. The Bible says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to Me shall never hunger, but he that believeth on Me shall never thirst. Uh, so He said to them, look, metaphorically, I am the bread of heaven. You're looking to have your physical stomachs filled. I'm looking to satisfy your spiritual hunger. You want to leave with, uh, with, with a, a happy belly. I'm trying to leave you with a saved heart. And he said, look, you want me to be like Moses uh, in the wilderness. You want me to call down the manna from heaven. I'm trying to tell you that I am the manna of heaven. And, and metaphorically, you've got to believe. Now, I had uh, uh, someone attended here uh, some time ago, and they were here when I preached in John 6 in this passage before. And after the message, they said to me, they said, Pastor, I, I just don't know if I would have been able to accept the metaphor. I think I would have been just as tripped up on the metaphor as they were. And I looked at the person, and I said, no, I don't think you would have been. This was person's a believer. I said, uh, the, the, the Nicodemus was given a metaphor, and you know what happened to him? He was born again. Right? And then the woman at the well was given a metaphor, and what did she do? She drank the living water, metaphorically. And then the guy at the pool of Bethesda we looked at last week, you know what? Uh, the, the, the metaphor was laying right next to him. You know what, he, what happened to him? He was healed. He was healed. This crowd here understood that Jesus was using a metaphor, but they did not want to accept it because they could not take their eyes off their stomachs. Jesus was trying to clarify to them, you must believe and receive. Let me just quickly say this. I'm almost done with the message today. Let me just quickly say this. that um, You may be here today and you may be confused. Pastor, I, uh, I have been relying on myself. What do I do? You might be watching online. We have a lot of people watch online. I'm actually surprised at uh, the, the, the amount of people watch our, our YouTube channel on Sundays. Praise the Lord for that. And, and so when I give the gospel strongly, please understand this message goes well beyond the walls of this room. I'd say this to you, if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're watching online or you've, you found this on YouTube later or, or been given a CD, let me just say that you must understand that because of your sin, you are separated from God. And no amount of good works can fix that gap. Look, we can both go stand uh, uh, at the edge of the Atlantic Ocean and try to jump over to Europe, and you might make it a little further than me, but you're not going to make it. And you can't jump with your good works from here to heaven. You might be better than me. You might get a little closer, but the, the, difference, the, the difference in space between you and Europe and you and heaven is probably pretty accurate. You're not going to make it. You say, Pastor, then what do I do? Lay your good works to the side and your reliance on that and put your faith in a, the man Jesus who came and He hung on the cross and He became your sin and so that you could become His righteousness. You need to believe in Jesus with all your heart. You just believe. You put your faith in Him. Jesus was saying to them, I'm the bread of life and you've got to believe. Now He would go on and say that you need to eat My flesh and drink My blood. That's not talking about the sacraments. That's not talking about uh, the body and blood of Christ being turned into anything. In fact, if you look there in the passage, again, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Uh, uh, eating is believing and drinking, I believe, was receiving. And so, everywhere you see eat, it means believe and everywhere you see drink, it means receive there. So, He was clarifying to them, you've got to believe in Me. Letter D quickly under the skeptic we see their rejection their rejection it's this 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 after or rather this morning uh headed toward afternoon here this morning as we finish the sermon i got to tell you everybody in this room falls into one of two categories and everyone that's sitting in this room today or watching online who is uh, considering the gospel message that's being presented you're going to become either the letter d under number one or the letter d under number two look at verse number 60 we see the first group here we see here it says in John chapter 6 and verse 60, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured, at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and, uh, what and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up uh, uh, where he was before? It, 
it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Uh, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray Him. And He said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto Me except that were given unto Him of My, of my Father. Verse 66, look there, it says, From that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. They weren't getting from their religious experience what they wanted. And so they turned their back and they left Him. My friend, Jesus is not required to be what you want Him to be. Jesus does not alter Himself to fit your fancy. Jesus is who He is. Say, but I'm sick. I need Jesus to heal me. Jesus is not required to bend down and heal you. Bend over to heal you. You say, but pastor, I'm poor. I need money. Jesus is not required to send a million dollar check to your bank account or any amount of money to your bank, bank account. You say, but, but, but you understand I've got relationship problems that are broken. I need Jesus to step in and whack the other person upside the head and even me if necessary and fix the problem. Jesus is not required to do that. But what Jesus will do is He'll save you. He'll save you. These people listened to the gospel message and they said, no. No, it's too hard. It's too hard. You know, I think that uh, here what you find is that wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Most of those 5,000 that were there that day left. But letter D, we find under number 2, his converse. Look at verse 67. It says there, Then said Jesus unto the twelve. So you have uh, those 5,000 that left. And, and, and narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal. Few there be that go in there at the twelve. Jesus turns the twelve after everyone else leaves and He says this to them, Will ye also go away? Verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you read on down, we see Judas would be a devil and he would be one of those that believed. But the other eleven did. The other eleven did. The other eleven believed and were converted in their hearts. They were converted from condemnation to eternal life. And today, to those of you in the room, I'd say this. To those of you watching online, I'd say this. You have two choices. You can reject Jesus, or you can accept Jesus. You say, well, I'll accept them later. Then you're rejecting Him now. You're rejecting Him now. The Bible says, behold, today, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off till later. It's now. It's now. To those in the room of you that are here that are saved, let me just ask you this question. Are you scared to fitting in the crowd? Are you not giving the gospel? Are you on one of the two ends of the spectrum? Are you a secret service Christian or are you a battering ram Christian? Let's live a lifestyle that's cleaned up. Let's use our language to bring people to Christ. Let's not be afraid of the skeptic. They need Jesus just the same. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, let me just ask this question. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, Beyond all uh, shadow of doubt in my heart, I know, I know, I know that I have been born again. I have put my faith in Jesus. I have eaten of the bread of life. I, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I have already been converted from condemnation to eternal life because I placed my faith in Jesus. It's not about what I am doing. It's not about what I have done. It's about what Jesus did. And I have believed in that. Here's my hand in testimony of that. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Don't be shy. Get it up there. Get it up there. If you put your faith in Jesus, signify that. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He wasn't ashamed for you. You can put your hands down. Is there one here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know that. I don't know that if I were to die, that I'd go to heaven. Maybe you've been a skeptic at some point. Maybe you've just not had it explained to you. But my friend, regardless of the status of your heart right now, if you have not believed in what Jesus did on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, if you've not accepted Him, behold, now is the accepted time. Don't put it off. Don't put it off.